Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome to the very first Bicycling Australia monthly podcast. I'm Nat Bromhead, editor of Bicycling Australia, and this is another new way that you can enjoy Bicycling Australia content each and every month. We have a couple of very special guests to speak to for this podcast. First up, I'm just going to quickly outline uh, the top stories on the Bicycling Australia website over the past month. I guess the big one um, was Rowan Dennis's huge win at the TT in Yorkshire uh, last Wednesday, it was. Um, so Rowan's back-to-back world time trial champion now, um, dual rainbow jerseys, and he did it after not racing since the Tour de France when he pulled out uh, of the Bahrain Merida due to some issues possibly with the team, possibly with the bikes he was using. We don't really know the full story, but we do have a lot of details over on our website. Uh, another big story this month has been Ceramic Speed's driven chainless drive chain system. Now, this has created a lot of uh, derision, a lot of debate, um, particularly over on our website. Is Chainless the future? Go and have a look at the video, um, read the article and have a look at the comments below and we'd love to hear your say on that. Um, another huge story um, for Australian cycling is the retirement of Mark Renshaw. What an absolute great, possibly the world's greatest lead-up rider ever. So for this, the very first Bicycling Australia podcast, recorded at the Forbes Street Studios in Sydney, we've got respected cycling journalist Anthony Tan here in the studio with me. How are you, Anthony? Yeah, well, thanks, Nat. Thanks for having me. Awesome, mate. And we've got five-time Tour de France rider and Tour Done Under winner, Patrick Yonker. Pat, can you hear us there? Yeah, I can hear you loud and clear. Good day, guys. Hey, Pat. So Pat's in Adelaide. Um, How is it down there, Pat? Yeah, good. Thanks. Something that I did want to talk to both of you about with, with your both immense experience in the sport, uh, both involved uh, on the ground and behind the scenes, Anthony, your, from your perspective, is the budgets. It's, it's an endless topic. Uh, one of the big issues is disparity in team budgets. So, um, I mean, what's the answer? Should, should some salary cap come in, Anthony? Do you think, you know, how can we beat these mega teams that have just got, say, 30 million euro a year budgets? Well, Nat, we have seen probably more uh, of an anomalous uh, results between, say, the, the the most money teams and the least money teams in the last 10 years, and that has been due to the event of teams like Sky and BMC. Not to really pick on them, but, uh, you know, when a team can choose the best riders, uh, you generally those results will be forthcoming. I mean, there are so many different variables or what Jonathan Vorters from the owner of Drapak, I mean, sorry, EF Education First says, he calls it the X factor. I mean, there are a lot of X factors, but when you have such a good roll call of riders, you can 
basically reduce or mitigate that X factor. So when Froome crashed out before uh, this year's Tour de France, then the next best option was uh, Egan Bernal or Grant Thomas. And as you can see, if you've got to plan A and B and C as uh, um, also the the Dutch team, uh, Lotto Visma also had, so Jumbo Visma also had, mm. uh, then they also have potentially options. So, that's prob- probably, at least it makes it a little bit exciting next year because mm. you won't have that one-sided affair. But I, I'm not sure. You have to ask also, is it achievable to introduce a salary cap at, at this at this stage or, or overall team budget cap? Yeah. Pat Yonker, you've had a lifetime in cycling. Uh, you must just look to these figures some of these riders are on and then look back at your experience and just be absolutely amazed at how things have changed. Can you tell us a little bit how it was for you? Yeah, that's right. So, you know, the numbers uh, you and Anthony were talking about, um, when I uh, rode my first Tour de France in 1994, uh, the whole Tour de France team's budget would be uh, one and a half to two million Australian dollars uh, a year. Um, So we're looking at budgets back in the late 80s, early 90s, um, that now wouldn't be able to afford the salary of Chris Froome or Jerry Ann Thomas. Um, The sport's evolved. It's come a long way. And I think um, it's like Anthony said, um, thankfully we have the X factor in the sport of cycling. It's, it's not, so, not so much like uh, Formula One, which has a massive problem at the moment. They've been losing thousands of fans have been walking away from Formula One because of the, there are only three teams, the super rich teams who dominate the sport and everyone else is uh, far behind. And uh, uh, I believe um, salary cap, probably something that's not obtainable and uh, UCI have been looking into it but uh, I think one day we will see uh, a cap on the team's budgets possibly to even it out but um, I think we've we've got to be grateful we do have an X factor in cycling but then like Anthony mentioned um, when you lose one top rider and your second and third rider are also Tour de France winners then you've really got um, a a super team that that is uh, unbeatable but um, I'm really looking forward to next year when uh, Jumbo Visma, the Dutch, and Tom Dumoulin uh, will create a force to be reckoned with. So, but super teams—they've been around since the 70s. Mm. Eddie Merckx. Eddie Merckx. He was the first to start it. Obviously, you wouldn't believe it, but yes, even Eddie Merckx had the world's best domestics um, behind him, and uh, for a, a period of about seven years, you know, Eddie was unbeatable. Yeah. So I guess uh, it did seem that Sky now Ineos was dominating for a number of years. Um, but I guess if you look at the big picture, uh, Lotto Visma uh, and the Wolfpack, you know, there's some serious competition out there now, more so the Wolfpack, obviously, in the one days and the classics. Yeah, you you need to probably, yeah, separate those teams who are going for the classics. And that's, say, with the departure of, say, Tom Dumoulin from Sunweb, then my understanding is that Sunweb now want to just focus on the classics because really to... Uh, as Pat would know, probably agree with you know to to focus on a Grand Tour and especially the Tour de France, it's a really a all-encompassing affair. And so if they're, it, it's either you throw it's basically throwing all your eggs in one basket. So that's why there is a need probably for the Plan A, B, and C. And it's I don't think there will be too much infighting, whether it's at Ineos or, or Jumbo Visma, because um, 
generally something happens to someone before a major meet and the road I find decides more than any of this um, you know inter-team inter-team rivalry and that's that's the way I feel I mean okay yeah you do have your dummy spits between the the high profile riders but there I, I think one of the things that's happened is that the sport has become a lot more professional you don't you don't you don't see a lot of that stuff happen now, and mm. uh, well, at least not not on not not in public anyway. Mm. Still, a lot of debate over uh, race radio and, and power meters. Pat, just quickly, what would your thoughts be on that, and, and what you've seen evolve over the years? Yeah, so uh, when I rode my first Tour de France, uh, we had no race radios, and um, uh, power meters were in the infancy and not yet integrated in the peloton. And um, I've seen it. You know, the Tour de France evolved. So my first Tour de France, we had um, very difficult to communicate with anyone, really. And my last Tour de France, um, we um, had uh, communication, obviously, power meters. We had absolutely everything. So mm-hmm. going from, you know, 94 to 2000, I've uh, really seen the sport evolve. Um, I have to agree with people like uh, Alberto Contador and uh, uh, Thomas Vukla. Um, these uh, Tour de France uh, well, winner and uh, champions um, they believe that there needs to be a certain amount of um, the rider needs to think for himself as well. At the moment, it has become a little bit robotic, and we've seen Team Sky's dominance making the sport almost a little bit sterile and predictable, too predictable. Mm. And um, uh, my quick answer to that is um, I would like to have power meters banned. Um, so that the riders don't know how much power they're pushing and they're going to have to think for themselves. Yeah. Um, communications are really... Uh, it's difficult to answer that. I think the riders need to know uh, if there is some danger ahead. Um, but if we could limit the communication between the director sportifs and the riders uh, to only messages of safety or the race director and um, the UCI are the only ones who can communicate with the riders, that would be a possible solution. But yeah. absolutely, when I was racing the Tour de France, it was a lot more exciting um, and less predictable. During That's... Um, you know, during the period of late 80s, 90s, mm. um, than it is today. Yeah, interesting. Um, so, yeah, talking of this technology, I'm just back from Eurobike, um, the world's biggest bike show. It was just incredible to see, I mean, year on year, the um, the evolution. It's just, it's it's an all a constantly changing industry. Um, so E-Road was a, a really big thing at, at Eurobike uh, 2019. Um, gravel, endurance bikes, uh Guys, I'd like to ask you both how you see the sport going in in the next twelve months. What do you see, sort of the the big three, if you like, um, areas of cycling in the next year? Well, Nat, I think you just have to walk into a bike shop to and ask the salesperson where the majority of the sales are coming from, and it's 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 um, it's mechanized bikes. You know, I guess you could call them pseudo rather than e-bikes, pseudo motorbikes. Um, yes. I mean, I came to the studio today on a motorbike, but I thought, well, you know, you still need to find a place to park it. Mm. Uh, whereas if I was on an e-bike, I could just wrap it up against a, a pole or something like that and it would be much easier. There's no parking limits or anything like that. Mm. So um, for me, like I think e-bike sales still got a long way to go. And I think uh, especially in you know, metropolitan cities, that's that's the that's where the potential is it's it's really uh as as traffic gets worse and worse i think that's and the way to go but 
it must be supported by a, an equal or if not more increase in infrastructure yeah, to, sure. to allow to facilitate those people who are mm. not comfortable with riding on the road. Yeah. So, um, Pat Yonker, you're actually uh, reviewing an e, uh, e-gravel bike for an upcoming edition of Bicycling Australia. But that's just as an aside, what, what's your, what are your thoughts on e-road and e-bikes yeah. in general? Yeah, look, um, obviously um, I spend a month or two in Europe each year and uh, uh, really blown away uh, by spending time in Holland and uh, Belgium and France. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really um, changed the whole, the whole way people live their lives at the moment. I can tell you for, uh, in Holland at the moment, um, the popularity has enabled people who may be a little bit too old or not, not, not physically able to get back onto the bike. Thanks to the e-assist, hmm. people are able to ride the bikes more and um, the bike paths are, are becoming very congested. So they're having um, some traffic jams on bicycle paths in Holland and Amsterdam in particular because there are just literally tens of thousands of people commuting to work each day, which is fantastic, and that's what the government wants. Um, they're actually just looking at expanding uh, uh, the bike paths to accommodate this amazing influx of people on a bike. And and the gravels part, I'm really excited. Um, it seems to be new, but uh, my father rode um, uh, in the 60s, 1960s in uh, South Australia, and uh, back in the 60s they had road uh, gravel events had a tour of kangaroo island which was predominantly on dirt so um in the 60s um it wasn't uncommon for the amateur uh, level riders to race on dirt yeah and um i'm a big fan of it i used to train on gravel and dirt in the 80s um uh, and just thought it was fun the the main reason it was fun and Mm. uh, the resurgence of dirt and gravel is is really exciting and um with the problems cyclists have been having on the on the tarmac with the you know, the cars and um, Australia is going through a tough time with the cyclists versus the cars where, yeah, don't ask why, but there's nowhere else in the world that has that problem, but hopefully we can solve it. But what we can do is uh, what we see what is happening is if people are avoiding the tarmac and going on the dirt roads and mm. um, now we just have to create events for people to attend. Yeah, yeah. So so I guess um, two years ago it was disc brakes. The, the issue of the year, the big point of the year, if you like, I guess tubular sort of morphed in last year. If, if we could narrow it down to one, this year, 2020 might be that real year of the e-bike sort of uh, coming of age, if you like. Yeah, it was, it was funny how Pat mentioned that, that there's um, traffic jams on bikes in Amsterdam. I think it was when, you know, the, I guess that the, the point of uh, trying to reduce traffic or vehicular traffic, yeah, uh, you, you wouldn't have thought that there would be such an increase in the popularity. But, I mean, that's almost a good... Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Problem to have because whether they're assisted or non-assisted, the more 
people who are um, powering themselves to to work or social activities uh, via bike. You know, it's the, it's been proven that there's direct health benefits in, sure. in doing so. Yeah. We actually have an article in the November or December edition of Bicycling Australia, which will be out in a couple of weeks or so, um, titled Doctors Prescribing Cycling. And there's actually some doctors in Wales, obviously in addition to other uh, medication or suggestions, but they're actually saying to people that you really should be out on a bike and spending more time. So yeah, it, those health benefits are proven. Um, even while we're re- recording this in studio in Sydney, we can look out and just see hundreds of single occupant vehicles going past on a bright sunny day. I mean, it's just a perfect advertisement for, for urban mobility and riding bikes and e-bikes. Um, it's really interesting. Pat, I picked up on what you said about mass participation and um, Fondo style events, and you are heavily involved with our um, Claire Classic coming up in April 2020. Um, and you've got some gravel uh, news you wanted to talk about with that. Yeah, absolutely, Nat. Um, I've been a big fan of Strada Bianchi in Tuscany, and uh, uh, when we've, you know, I think a lot of the uh, cycling enthusiasts are a big fan of, of the Strada Bianchi, a uh, uh, road race of 180 kilometres, predominantly on dirt and gravel, yeah, and sure. it's really captured the imagination uh, of everyone. And uh, yeah, in uh, April the fourth uh, next year in 2020, um, we will be organising a, uh, a gravel event, and it's going to be a, a fun event, so not a competition, and we'll have 80 kilometres of dirt and gravel around the picturesque Clare Valley, uh, an hour and a half north of Adelaide, and uh, we're really hoping to see uh, you know, a reasonable amount of participants from all over Australia really um, rock up to Adelaide, drive up north, and uh, um, ride our gravel event, uh, which is, I've done the course a few times, it's very scenic, the Clare Valley is a beautiful part of South Australia, yeah, it's nice. one of the predominant wine region uh, as well, and um, and then the following day we've got um, the Clare Classic, which is 160 and 110 and, and 50 kilometer Grand Fondo events. So yeah. we're seeing these Grand Fondo events um, all over the world, um, uh, incorporating dirt and gravel events, and okay. um, absolutely looking forward to um, you know having a fair few starters uh, there in April next year. Yeah, I was over in um, Bormio recently, and there were two. I was there on two different Saturdays, two consecutive Saturdays. There were two Fondos on over two weeks. Uh, and then following on Facebook, there's just been a series of them ever since. It's just amazing that, that the popularity of Fondos are over in Europe. Anthony, is this something you've seen, the rise and rise of the Fondo, if you like? I think so. I th- think it, it, also, it seems to be, I don't know whether there's a correlation here, but it, it seems to have happened, the, the, the rise in popularity has coincided anyway with perhaps a, a little bit of a lack of interest in uh, professional road cycling. And so if you're time poor, I'm not sure, is it better to watch two hours of cycling on the television or, or go out yourself and perhaps people prefer the health mm. benefits rather than being a couch potato. Yeah. Uh, so I think uh, f- for me, it's it's not a, a bad thing. It's It's... Yeah, cycling is a sl- generally professional cycling is a bit of a slow innovator. So it it sometimes takes events like Strada Bianca to reignite some 
passion in the sport and that perhaps leads to, yeah, things like the Clare Valley Grand Fonda. Yeah, yeah. I did see that at Eurobike actually. Um, gravel bikes were very popular. E-road, as I mentioned, was very popular and endurance bikes. The manufacturers are really stepping it up with that endurance platform and more. Um, still aero and performance bikes, but with a more comfort and endurance style geometry. Um, Pat, is that something you're, you're experiencing or you've been seeing out there? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, my day-to-day work, uh, I work as a sales rep for Bike Sports in Melbourne and uh, so I visit uh, many bike shops each day and yeah, um, it's really been interesting to see uh, the change in the, in the customers' minds and uh, um, all I can see is a really bright future and uh, um, yeah, the, the growth is, is really in double, double digits mm. and uh, who knows uh, where it will end. Uh, you know, we may well have... Uh, um, multi-day uh, gravel and e-bike events and uh, um, in Europe they are allowing um, you know e- e-bikes to participate in, in certain events so it'll be interesting to see how that evolves in Australia whether where you draw the line uh, with having an e-bike on the start line of a Grand Fondo you know when, when is that going to start and uh, yeah it's be interesting developments these next uh, few years. Yeah, I guess and just on that I guess you know they cop a little bit of flack people say well I want to pedal it's not a real bike it's a motorbike um, but we did have a real heartfelt letter to the editor of Bicycling Australia after we reviewed our first e-bike in the magazine um, from an older lady who said she just loved it. She could actually go out and ride on the road again and, you know, have the power or energy to, to, to complete a nice 40 or 50k loop um, thanks to the, having this electric assist. And she said she still had to pedal, um, but it really helped her to get out there and do it. So I guess there's a really positive side to this technology coming through. Yeah, I've I've certainly uh, changed my opinion. I don't think it's a good idea to say segregate those who rely on motorised assistance versus those who don't. It's almost like road versus mountain bike. Really, um, we're all cyclists, and that it's the critical mass that you need to push. You know, whether it be uh, particularly local and state governments to invest in the infrastructure mm. to facilitate more people out on the road, because uh, as I mentioned before, unless you get, if you get the critical mass, then there, the, then there's a reason to invest in more paths and, yeah, and what sure. have you in countries other, you know, which aren't so bike friendly at the moment. Yeah, Pat, have you got that in Adelaide? That that movement, that critical mass for um. More bike infrastructure and, and more reliance on less, yeah. you know, less um, on the car and more on the bike yeah. for commuting. Yeah, look, Adelaide is obviously um, geographically a perfect place to be the capital of of of, uh, of of Australia when it comes to bicycle infrastructure. We're not mm. yet there at the level of Perth, I think. Uh, Perth uh, captures uh, the title there, and and, and Melbourne's uh, close second, and then uh, it's Adelaide and Brisbane. Um, but um, yeah, that's a real sticking point. I think um, it was wasn't a political issue in the last elections. Uh, you know, it's a it's a shame that the Australian government don't really take it as seriously as they do in Germany, Holland, Denmark, and the rest of Europe. Um, because the future of our country um, would be a lot, lot, lot brighter if we have a far better uh, uh, bicycle infrastructure to co- encourage people to go to work, especially where you are at the moment in Sydney. I Absolutely. mean, in eight years' time, it'll be completely gridlocked. So, um, um, you know, I think we're gaining some critical mass, but we definitely need a lot more support at, at the government level to really get this going and, and get the movement going that, hey, it's going to save billions of dollars off our health beer 
healthcare bill in 20 years' time if we um, have a, a really fit and healthy uh, community. And that can only be obtained by having good bicycle infrastructure so people can go to work safely. Really well said, Pat, and I hope um, the powers that be listen to you with your experience and lifetime in the sport. Um, Patrick there in Adelaide, thank you so much for, for being a part of this first uh, Bicycling Australia podcast. And of course, yeah, thanks, Anthony man. Tan, our esteemed uh, long-time contributor. Anthony, how long have you been writing for Bicycling Australia? Oh, it must be, I think, uh, someone courted me back in... Uh, 2007, so probably 12 years now. Nice, that's <laughs> wonderful. Um, so yeah, a new edition of the magazine's coming out, the November-December edition. Um, we've got a major feature, Vision 2020 is going to be plastered across the front page, if I'm allowed to say that before it's even out. Um, uh, Peter Maniati, one of our senior contributors, a senior cycling journalist, has interviewed probably 12 or 14 of um, the world's most senior cycling uh Luminaries, Ant McCrossan's there, Matt Keenan, Phil Liggett, um, a host of others, including Matt White from uh, Mitchelton Scott, um, asking all these people what their thoughts are for the next 12 months in, in cycling in all aspects of the sport, um, covering the topics we've talked about today. Um, uh, these young Europeans that are just rapidly rising, the young meteorites of the sport, if you like. So yeah, there's, it's going to be a really good read in the new BA. Um, we've got a lot of other news in there. Uh, including three bike reviews, a specialised Roubaix um, and a Bianchi e-bike, an e-road, which we were just talking about, and a giant Revolt gravel bike. So a lot of the topics we've covered in today's podcast will be um, also in the uh, the new November-December Bicycling Australia, which will be out on the newsstands very shortly. Um, guys, thanks again so much for being a part of this first bo- podcast, and we really do look forward to talking to you um, down the track. Thanks for having me. Pleasure, Matt. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.